We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. Welcome to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, Ed Meyer. And good evening and welcome to Winning Ponies. I'm your host, Ed Meyer, and thank you for taking time to join us each and every Thursday as we talk about the sport of kings, a.k.a. horse racing, the greatest two minutes in sports, a lot of action, more action, than the law allows. Thanks for tuning in with us. 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, depending on which side of the coast you live on. Winning Ponies rolling right along in 2011, and we hope you are a part of the action. If not, it is never too late to join in. Exotic predictions are better than $696,000 in payoffs and growing. The industry-leading selections are just getting better and better by the minute. New stats making it easy and informative to users looking to do more in-depth handicapping. Riders, trainers, how they do together. This is what the big boys and girls are using. This is incredible. If you've ever heard me quote the numbers and say, man, I'm tired of those, allow me to help you along. This is how we predict the future, boys and girls, by exactly what happened in the past. And the stats do just that. The color-coded tiers make it easy to use for beginners and hardcore handicappers alike and give it a look that is just sensational. Take a look at it for yourself, www.winningponies.com. I think you're going to like it. I've been hooked on since 2008, and we are still kicking it and still rolling strong. What's happening tonight? We're going to do a recap of last week's stakes races. There's a couple of them there. caused me a little pain. But I'm going to be a big boy, and I'm going to man up on it. I was playing in an online contest, and I'll get to that in a minute. Biggins, hopefully you were a part of it. It's never a braggart's tone. It's actually, we like to talk about the success, and hopefully you were on board. And then a story to kind of get you rolling along. Our special guest tonight, this week, Cajun righty sensation, a great, a man who has fought for the betterment of racing and many riders. I've had a, a good time chatting with him. Facebook, on the phone a few times. Mr. Shane Sellers is going to join us. This guy was one incredible rider, and I heard he was not one to mess with in the jocks room. That's a little side note. A little side note. It just kind of jumps out of my head when I remember uh, Calvin Burrell, who I believe Mr. Sellers came up with, as many others, and he's going to be one heck of an interview. He was not one to mess with on the track or in the jocks room. But a very nice guy. I think you're going to enjoy that indeed. Mr. Shane Seller is going to be talking about his story, and it's actually one that's uh, extremely, extremely informative. And it was for the betterment of so many people that, wow, 
should be greatly indebted to his efforts. Next up after that will be former rider, athlete, racing secretary, Phil-in Stewart, Mr. William Dino Troilo. I call him Bill, Big Bad Bill, nice guy in racing. Uh, Bill, uh, he rode on the Kentucky-Ohio circuit, and uh, especially I used to love watching Bill ride up Thistle Downs. They'd ship him in for the $50,000 races and just take him right on down like they were just candy. It was like uh, right from a baby, they'd uh, ship in Bill Troilo, and boom, he would take him down. So he's going to be joining us in the second half. We're going to be chatting with him about Indiana racing. Bill, he's, uh, it's never going to stop at Indiana racing with Bill. It's, it's always going to be a good time. And then after that, if, uh, if we have time, we're going to be talking about news from the world of racing and some final furlong handicapping from yours truly. Winning Pony sending me to the Orleans next week. I will do battle and do test against some of the best handicappers and some of the best people in the nation. And expected seven to eight hundred players lock horns in a three-day battle known as the World Series of Handicapping. Wish me luck. I need more than that. I think I might need a doctor. Actually, I've I've done pretty well in this. I've finished in the the high thirties, the high forties, the middle forties out of seven, eight, nine hundred people. Great show. Orleans, they put on a great, great opportunity for you to really make some money. And if wherever you're at. They still have plenty of entries available because they don't cap it. I love that because that means, heck, if I'm going to play against 700, I'd rather play against 1,000 because that means the money just goes up and up, originating at Penn National, the World Series of Handicapping, shifting the stack many moons ago over to the Orleans. Old school, they know how to treat people right. I would say take a peek at it, but if not, wish me luck because next week that's where I'll be. Three days of nothing but pure pleasure of handicapping. Study for about eight or nine hours and go in and do battle all day long. Come back and study for eight or nine hours. Yep, get a little food in there somewhere. You better believe that, but it's always a good time. So that's where I'm going to be next week, and wish me luck, as I said again. Recapping last week. And the Don Handicap, it, it brings tears to my eyes because I, I actually wanted to confer with my dad because this is actually his horse. Winner of the Don Handicap Grade 1 at Gulfstream Park, half a million bucks up for grabs, Giant Oak up for grabs, Sean Brishmahan and Chris Block. I believe we had Chris Block on as a guest. Now we just need to have Brishmahan, and we'll have the exacta there. Giant Oak wins by a sweeping two lengths over morning line. In rule for third, Giant Oak paying a sweet, sweet price, wins by a, a solid two lengths. Gulfstream Park Turf Handicap, a grade one event at Gulfstream Park, $300,000 up for grabs. Winner is Teeks North, and that's Jose Valdivia Jr. in the irons, wins by a dirty nose over Smart Bid. It was very exciting, to say the least. And, uh, in fact, I, I would say uh, that's one that you want to go back and take a look at for future reference. The Lost Virginia Stakes said grade one is Santa Anita, 250000 bucks. Three-year-olds going a mile. Winner is Zazu. Zazu and Joel Rosario in the irons for Mr. Sadler. Mr. Sadler, you're seeing more and more of him on the California circuit. Just, I mean, he's always been a fixture. John Sadler's always been a fixture, but here's of late, it's just getting better and better. Wins by a length and a quarter over turbulent descent. The Stroob Stakes, grade two at Santa Anita, $200,000 was the purse value. Winner is the Impressa Twirling Candy by four and a half lengths. Joel Rosario and John Sadler show again. Hmm. 
There you go. I think they had a pretty good weekend. Then we had the Sewanee River, a grade three at Gulfstream, 150000 Up for grabs winners, Cherokee Queen winning by two lengths. Alex Elise for Marty Wilson. It was a mile and eighth on the turf. That should tell you where Marty Wilson at in the winner's circle because Mr. Wilson has always been a turf terror in South Florida. And then we had the Thunder Road, a grade three at Santa Anita. We're bouncing back east coast, west coast. It's the Thunder Road Handicap, grade three Santa Anita, $100,000 of grass, a mile on the weeds. Winner is Fluke. JoJo Talamo in the irons. Wins by about three parts of a length, but Fluke, I believe, was once upon a tamed, trained by Bobby Frankel, and I believe it is Alberto Asinio is his uh, longtime assistant and uh, looks swell in the winner's circle, and, and I was really glad to see uh, see a smiling face there. He worked for a long time with Bobby Frankel, and it was really good to see that. So that's what happened there last week, and then we jump out, and we're going to see what's happening with the Biggins circuit on Friday, February 4th, 86 total Biggins. Charlestown, I call it Charlie Town. Race number five, a Superfecta, $2,692.80. Saturday, February 5th, 74 total Biggins. Turfway Park in Florence, Kentucky, race 11. It's a Superfecta, $16,890.80. Who says Kentucky doesn't pay well? Sunday, February 6th, 48 total Biggins. Sunland Park, I don't think I've ever placed a wager at Sunland Park. No, no, I have. Sunland Derby, what am I thinking about? Race 4, Super Factor Key, 5,475.60. Monday, February 7th, 25 total Biggins. Turf Paradise, race number 9, a Super Factor Key, $898. There were some slim pickings on that day. But I'm going to tell you what, as we're talking about slim pickings, we've got a man on hold. We're going to be jumping out to him in a few minutes. Mr. Shane Sellers on hold. You're going to want to stay tuned for his, his story. His life is very interesting and one hell of a nice guy. Enjoyed chatting with him all week. Tuesday, February 8th, 24 total big in Sunland Park once again. Race 10, 5,566.40. Wednesday, February 9th, 34 total big in Tampa Bay Downs TBD. I like Tampa. They offer some great value. Race number eight is Superfecta Key, 2,572.20. Led the pack on that day. Thursday, February 10th. Yep, that's today. 31 total biggins. Fairgrounds. Mr. Shane Seller stomping grounds. Race number nine, a super high five key. 7,200120. Oh, Gotta love it. And going to give you a little quick version as we got three minutes till we head out to our break. There was a great story, and it's been all the rage on the Internet. It was Bill Finley, special to ESPN.com. He also is a contributor to the New York Times. Say goodbye to the slots gravy train. And I'm going to try to encapsulate it here. Mr. Finley writes an incredible article here, and it's, oh, my goodness, it's taken a lot of heat around the nation. The sport has had a lot of nice Roman slot machines, those gizmos that have fattened purses and made a lot of owners money and kept a dozen or so racetracks from closing. But the good times are about to end, and a lot sooner than you might have thought. According to Mr. Finley, a system broke. State governments allow tens of millions in slot revenue to go to horse racing that could never last. It's starting to crumble. The first weeks of 2011 have included some very ominous news for slots racing relationships and the future of horse racing. It started in Indiana where Governor Mitch Daniels blindsided the thoroughbred and standardbred industries by issuing a proposal that calls for 43% of the slots money. And this is 43% from casinos in casino-generated gaming that goes into the thoroughbred and standardbred industries 
is now going to go into the state's general fund. How in God's name would you like to have some indie breads on the ground, some yearlings thinking you're going to run for some mega money, and the state is only going to get bigger, and Governor Mitch Daniels takes away 43%. They're cutting it in half. We're going to talk to Bill Trello about that later, but according to Mr. Finley, the Hoosier Park, the Hoosier State, is going to be hurting very, very bad. It's been the envy of many other states. In Iowa, the target is dog racing. Casino company Harris owns a kennel club and Council Bluffs is leading the fight to end dog racing. In order to do so, it's offering what amounts to bribe the state $10 million to pull the plug on dog racing. It's simply dead, according to their lobbyist, Jim Carney. He said it is a fact. So what's happening here, folks? The casino entities that have bought into racing are getting a little tired of funding the sport. Harris is wanting to dump dog racing and council bluffs. This is an incredible news. If it's a flash for you, please pay heed. It's on every rag out there. Take a look at Bill Finley's article. It is incredible. As I said, it contributed to the New York Times and ESPN.com. Racetracks are in trouble. And as an award-winning rider has brought it to the forefront here, when the sports and the slots money starts to go away, what is the answer? He said it's definitely not a good one. So what we once thought was our, our savior, our life jacket, to at least get racing on its feet, they come along and they nail us with this. Take a look at Indiana Downs, Hoosier Park. We'll talk to Bill Trello about that a little later on this evening. But I want to warm you up and tell you just how much fun it's going to be for the next segment. We're going to cut into a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to be talking with a gentleman who I watched come to Kentucky from Louisiana and just tear them apart. Actually, Pat Day was the king of Kentucky. Now, I was a little younger. I just didn't have as much gray hair. How's that? I'm not going to say younger, because I believe Shane and I are the same age. And I remember him coming up, and Pat Day was the king of Kentucky, and then he started dethroning him here. And then I go to Chicago. And then I see there's nine races on the card. I believe Shane won six and ran second in one because he only had seven mounts. And Pat Day won the other two. It was all the Shane Seller show. And tonight it is going to be that as well. Shane has a very interesting story. He's one great guy. And he's, uh, he was a good man for racing. And for many other riders out there, tip your cap. You owe a lot to this man. Well, it is time to head into our first break. and we return, we're going to have Mr. Shane Sellers on, but you're only going to hear a great story if you stay tuned here for more Winning Ponies. Well, I walk into the room, passing out $100 bills, and it kills, and it thrills like the horns on my silver rod. Your internet flagship station for sports... Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of Horse Stradamus, handicapper extraordinaire with the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. It's all Arizona, 
all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. We some hard hitters. We some hard hitters. Hard hitting radio is a new kind of sports and entertainment show. Your hosts are NFL veterans Mark McMillan and co-host Byron Evans. It's an hour of hater-free radio every week. You'll hear interviews with top athletes, celebrities, coaches, and fans. It's humor, hits, and conversation. Hard hitting radio is on with McMillan and Evans. Listen Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, Ed Meyer. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with Ed or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to ed at winningponies.com. Now back to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. And welcome back to Winning Ponies. I'm your host, Ed Meyer. Hey, thanks for tuning in with us, taking your time to be with us, because without you, there'd be no us. We're eternally grateful for that, the Winning Ponies folks. This is our second segment, this is where we have our special guest of the week on, and we've talked to some of the best in the industry, the most exciting people, and I've had a blast in doing such. I've had the honor and privilege of chatting with this gentleman a couple times on phone. I've got to know a little bit about him, and I'll tell you what, I sure enjoyed watching him play his trade in the saddle, and for as good of a rider he is, he's ten times that a better person. Joining us tonight is Mr. Shane Seller. Shane, are you there? I'm there, Ed. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Hey, how'd you do at Fairgrounds today? Did you, or did they run today? Yeah, we we ran. Um, I was one third. I, I ran uh, road three and uh, ran a third and a couple of out of the monies. But we were out you there know, anyway. You know what? I like that because you can't win unless you're out there. I didn't know how Mother Nature was uh, treating the Big Easy. But Shane, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. And uh, a native of Erath, Louisiana, and been working around horses since the age of 11. Uh, we watched him ride 14 derbies, 29 Breeders' Cup races, and uh, has won more than 4,000 races, $122 million in purses, and, and we're so glad to have you on. And you began, as I said, uh, working around horses about, I'm going to guess, at age 11. If I'm wrong, correct me. And how did you get started, Shane, with the other uh, Cajun greats that you came up with? Uh, it was basically an infatuation with horses and moved to Erath, Louisiana when I was six or seven and, and um, you know, playing in the streets, met a couple friends and became befriended a couple guys and they had some horses and it just so happened to be race horses that they ran on the match tracks and um, about nine or ten I started getting on a couple and here and there and I rode my first race when I was 11 years old and started with Calvin Borrell when we were both 11 years old. We rode match races together and been riding together ever since so um it was a it's a lot of fun a lot of fun back then 
Calvin is is a true gentleman. Actually, he graced uh, he graced our show as you are doing, and uh, had a lot of Cajun greats. And I and I've had a blast chatting with you guys because. Uh, and and I and a little digression here. I heard uh, a man that you don't want to tangle with on the track and in the jocks room is Shane Sellers. And I've heard that actually. I was speaking with Bill Troilo. I said, I said Bill's a bit of a scrapper from Philly. I said, uh, would you take Shane on? He said, I, I don't know. He kind of hesitated there, my friend. Well, I'm not. I can't say I'm very proud of that. But I mean, I mean you know, on another note, uh, I haven't said that. I mean. Being from Louisiana, that's how we were raised. You know, I mean, that's that was my upbringing. Um, I'm a very nice guy, man. I, you know, I'll give you the shirt off my back. But you know, when I was a kid, I remember having a fight with my 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 cousins playing in the yard, and you know, my dad would come out and just throw the boxing gloves, and uh, they outweighed me, you know, half my si- half their size, and we had to fight, you know, or fight with my friends, and um, you better not get your butt whipped, you know, and that's. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you heard of Randy's story. Randy had a similar. Uh, we both from the same hometown, he left Louisiana. I, I don't know why the makeup was that way with our parents, but, you know, and it, you even saw it with Calvin, Breeders' Cup, you know, the nicest guy. I never saw him. Raise, I've been around him since I'm 11 years old. I never saw him raise his voice, but, you know, we have that side in us, and um, we're very defensive. I, I don't know what it, what it is, but I'm not proud to say that I'm a scrapper, but... <laughs> I, um, I am. It makes you a great I, I, competitor. Had, I had no choice. You know, I add on a serious note. I really had no choice. It was, I was a little Pekingese. I was raised to be a pit bull, and 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 unfortunately, it carried on into my professional life, as you know and has have read. And probably the perception of me is is one that I don't like, per se. But I guess if Not you want to all. pick a fight, Not at if all. You don't want to, if you want to pick a fight, I don't think you have to go very far. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll accommodate you if that's what you'd like. <laughs> Take your choice. You can either have my hand in friendship or I'll upside your <laughs> Shane, uh, a bit of a a bit of a, a injury that kind of opened 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 the books and opened the eyes of many. Uh, a serious knee injury. And if I have anything wrong, correct me. I, I cannot stand to have anything uh, wrong. I believe it was December of two thousand kept you out of yeah. racing for a while, and this raised your awareness of the lack of proper health insurance provided to jockeys. Uh, what exactly is the insurance issue, and how have you raised awareness in, 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 in such, you know, for the riders, and, and how does that all work? Well, I, I was fortunate enough to be one of the guys that could afford um, a disability policy at the time, and, and thank God I had that disability policy, but it wasn't really that, that incident that raised awareness and I was a um a, a representative of the jockeys guild for I think 15 years at that time when Bailey was the president when the guild was as strong as it ever been and we knew that you know we were funding our health insurance we the guild members had health insurance at the time but it was all funded by the guys that were doing better in other words they take eight dollars a month so whoever was riding the most amount of horses it cost you more for your health insurance, but you was, in essence, taking care of everybody else. And that's what we had to do as as, as individuals, is take care of each other. But it came, uh, that knocked me out of the game for two years, and and, um, and I probably was never supposed to ride again. And um, I don't know if you call it stupidity or, or whatever, just my love for the game. Uh, I came back, and when I came back is when um, it all hit me, um, blindsided me almost you know i knew that there was only five states and that still is five states that cover riders and the workman's comp that's new york idaho california and i 
I'd be lying if I could name them all because it, it really is immaterial. But mm-hmm. the material thing is that there are that the rest of the amount of states that if you just cross the border, you can get the same license, you do the same job, and you're not covered. You don't have no coverage. But at the time, it was $100,000 of coverage is what you had on track. If I fall, it's a $100,000 policy versus if I'm in New York City and I fall according to my wages, just you know how workman comp works. You know, I'm taken care of. But anyway, uh, I, the, 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 what opened my eyes was with Gary Berzer. It happened with Gary Berzer, and uh, he fell in West Virginia, I think it was. And yes. I was riding for I was riding first call for Steve Asmussen um, at the time in New York, and this kid, the news flash came, and this kid's paralyzed. And a month went by, and the next thing you know, his bills are seven hundred fifty thousand. He only has a hundred thousand dollar policy, and I'm sitting in Workman's Comp State saying, you know, if I'm fixing to go to Kentucky, it's a hundred thousand dollar policy. If this happens, what, you know? And the wheels started turning in my head. I got three children at home, and I, you know, I'm listening. To, they're turning this kid away from rehab centers because he can't. He lost his house. He's, I mean. I, and I know uh, that could be me. So I'm going to try to make a long story short, but it pretty much changed my life and the life that I knew of, of a rider um, because I, I went to, to Kentucky and, and my heart just for the first time in my life, I was ever fearful of anything. And it wasn't fearful of falling. It was fearful of falling with no insurance and losing everything I had, losing my kids' futures. Forget about Shane. It was about my kids. And... uh I had the best job in the country. I was riding for the leading trainer in the country who was my biggest supporter and might be one of my biggest fans still today, even though I don't ride for him. And I just one day I just called him. I said, Steve, I, I can't do it. I called my agent first. I said, I can't do it. You know, if I fall, I got a $100,000 policy. I, 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 You know, I'm 40 years old, whatever. I had a great career. I mean, I, I, I can't do it. I just can't. And he said, all right. And I... And I I went to Turf Way, and Bill, I think, Charlie was there, and, and um, I made a, uh, an announcement, and they wrote an article, and I said, I'm not quitting. I'm not retiring. I refuse to go out there with a $100,000 policy. I can't do it. I'm not playing Russian roulette with my kid's future, and that would be my last day I ride. And Tony D'Amico and them was there, and I'll mention his name because um, I rode that day, and um, I didn't ride for two more months, and they went on to Churchill, and nobody, I didn't hear nothing from riders or, Whatever, and then Tony D'Amico fell at Churchill, and um, I remember it was about a week, and his bills was over two hundred fifty thousand. Wow! The same guys that I told that I wasn't riding. I got a phone call one morning, about seven in the morning. It was the biggest mistake I ever made in my life. I, I answered the phone, and it was um, a couple guys um, that said that Robbie Alvarado and Pat Day wanted me to come to a meeting that they were having to talk to Churchill about insurance policy and I said I'll be right there I didn't brush my teeth or not I mean embarrassing but I I mean I just threw my clothes on because I wanted to ride again you know Mm -hmm. but I walked in the jocks room and I was standing there and security came right up to me and said you got to get out of here and basically I I just was looking around I said I don't understand I rode 14 derbies I've been leading right here eight times what do you you mean I need to get out if you don't leave we're going to put a pair of handcuffs on you and I looked at Calvin, and I looked at, and so I said, Look, you know, give me my, my, the guild president, give me my representation here, you know, because, again, I was in the guild for 20-something years, and, and I got Daryl here on the phone, and I told him, I said, these guys called me to come here. I don't even really, I know it's about insurance, but, you know, they're telling me if I don't leave, you're my representation that they can put handcuffs. He said, don't you leave. 
they put a pair of handcuffs on you, we'll see them in court. And I said, all right. And needless to say, they turned me around, they held me, they pulled me off in handcuffs. And uh, the next day, those guys went on strike. 18 guys went on strike, and um, I was ruled off. They were ruled off. The next year came around, and um, I'm going to just try to make it short, but the bottom line is they got themselves reinstated, and um, and I wasn't reinstated. I got a letter in the mail from Churchill said, you're still no longer allowed on the grounds. And the night before that derby, I had dinner with Jerry Bailey. He called me and said, you know, let's him and my little boy are best friends. And he said, let's have dinner. I said, okay, and we were sitting at dinner, and I said, Jerry, you know, I can't go tomorrow. Tomorrow's a derby, and, you know, they're going to ride with a million-dollar policy, and they're going to wear endorsements that you're wearing endorsements that I fought for, and I can't even step foot on the, on the ground as a spectator. And he said, yeah, bro. He called me Shano. He said, you know, Shano, I asked, and they told me no. And I said, and you're going to accept that? You know, they're going to let F-17 guys that boycotted their racetrack and held picket signs back and not me? I, I don't, I don't understand. And because we was with our families, I just had to accept it. But um, the next day, I'm going to tell you, Ed, was um, the hardest day I ever in my life. I watched them come out the, the tunnel and play in my old Kentucky home. I rode 14 derbies, and I watched them walk out with endorsements that I fought for and watched them walk riding for a million-dollar policy, and I couldn't even step foot on the grounds as a spectator. And I begged those guys to get me back, and and they didn't. And that sounds like a sob story, and I don't want no sympathy, nor do I ever want any sympathy. But it was the, it was the end of the lifestyle, or the end of the Shane Sellers that I knew him of him, and I will ever know. And uh, I disappeared for five years, and I'm gonna shut up on that. But Shane, it doesn't sound like a sob story whatsoever. It sounds like a man who actually put it all on the line, his his profession on the line, per se, and paid the price and wasn't backed by some of the biggest names in the business. I'm not trying to finger out a few. Uh, Jerry Bailey, Johnny V, uh, uh, Gary no, no, Stevens. It, does, it doesn't matter. I'm going I'm to just say right now, I'm not pointing anybody out. It was it was everybody. You know, It was those those same 18 guys that called me to the jock room. If I don't answer my phone that morning, you know, where are you? You got me ruled off, but I'm, I'm begging you to get me reinstated. What do you mean you're telling me no? You know, and the answer was no. It wasn't like you didn't know. It wasn't like you didn't know. I was, you know, again, and, and, and a lot of why I, why I chose to do this was not, I was always a voice for riders. Tonight I'm not a voice for riders. I'm a voice for Shane Sellers. And I, I come to tears when I even try to talk about it because it's something that I'll never forget ever in my life. It's uh, it's something that I live with day in and day out, and I'll never get an answer for. You know, I'll never understand why they put a hand pair of handcuffs on me in the first place. I'll never understand how you let 17 guys back that boycotted your racetrack and held picket signs. I did nothing of the sort. You know, and. I don't understand. I can understand maybe Churchill, but I don't understand you riders that called me there. You got me ruled off. I'm on this outside. I'm begging you. I had dinner with Jerry, you know, the night before, and and the answer was no, you know. And there's no answer that they could they could ever give to me that's going to make any sense, you know. Nor will I even wait for one. You know, it's something that just I have to just. 
some way, shape, or form, pray about every day that I can let go and, and it doesn't, they don't put me in the ground and me have this pit in my stomach that I live with every day. And every day that I see a rider that I roll with at those times, or today's riders that they don't even know I was hauled off in handcuffs. They don't even know it's because of me that you have a, a million-dollar policy and you're wearing endorsements and the weights have been changed. You know, I was a very selfless act that I did, and I don't want a pat on the back, you know. But when I think about I see guys like Randy and Mike Smith getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, and I had that opportunity. All I had to do was try to be in the Hall of Fame, and I could have been there because my numbers are still close. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and that was all the times that I went against the, game, the, the grain. You know, I went... You know, I still win the races that I won. If I'd have just shut my mouth and, and just been selfish and thought about Shane Sellers, there's no doubt in my mind I had the opportunity to be in the Hall of Fame. But Shane, you're you're a man of great faith, and you're a man of great uh, of great ability. That 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 goes without saying. And and just getting to know you in a brief time, and and watching you apply your trade on the track, you know, I, I've I've picked that up that you're very selfless. That that you put away the accolades. Uh, you talked about a Hall of Fame uh, in, inductee uh, being inductee uh, for the betterment of racing and riders, and also on the backside of that, in 2004, along with your fellow jockey and friend Randy Romero, you were featured in in the Emmy-winning documentary film Jockey on HBO, and uh, and you were telling and you were trying to bring it to the forefront about weights and the project of of what riders actually go through. Tell our listeners about your involvement with Randy in in the film Jockey. Well, that was another thing that wasn't my idea. They came to me, and, and it was the worst timing in the world because I had been off for two years, and I was just coming back, and I sure didn't need no negative, but I was watching my friend and my idol that I grew up in the same hometown, Randy Romero, dying. You know, he basically was dying for the for the things that he fought for, for you know, the, the, the way the things that he did to his body to make weight, which I also did, which I also watched all the greats do. wasn't, And I know the percentage of riders that do it. Um, and I, I should have said no, and I, I just I couldn't because I said, you know, I didn't do it for any money. I didn't do it for any... It was no... Nothing positive could come out of it for Shane Sellers. It was only negative, but it was a it was an opportunity, and the only opportunity that that we could do because we'd been begging and asking so I went ahead and I done it and and it was basically I just I I I I showed what Randy went through and there was a couple other guys I I told the public what uh you know what I went through and and you know I had some big people like Mr. Robert Clay of Three Chimneys I still have the letter that he sent me you know thank you for bringing the fourth the weights to the forefront it's about time we do something with for our riders. This is Three Chimneys Farms. You know, I was like, all right. I mean, all right. And then Bird Bacharach called me. I mean, can I take out an ad in Belmont Day? Took a big ad article, you know, can, you know, pat me on the, you know, whatever. For Shane Sellers for standing up. And you know what? They changed the weights. But it also came at a price with, you know, Wayne Lucas bashing me in the USA Today and, you know, don't listen to Shane Sellers and and then other people that didn't want the ways to be changed for their own personal reasons. And, and I, I guess you could, 
you can make a case for everybody, but I can't, I, I'm not thinking about your case. I'm thinking about me and watching these kids dropping dead, literally. You know, there's been three or four that had, you know, just dropped dead in the box. You know, it's all documented. And I just couldn't, I couldn't stand there anymore and not do anything, you know. So I, I went along with the film, and as you could, if you ever watched it, at the end it says, for the first time in a hundred-something years, the weights were changed, and, and they were changed. But again, it came with a, a big price, you know. Um, with great and great change comes great sacrifice and great cost, and it seems like very few, if not just a few singled-out people have had to pay this and pay this price for the betterment of of other riders to to actually ply the trade in a healthier healthier manner. It's still tough. And yeah, and, I, and, and you know what? Nobody twisted my arm. Ed. Uh, I mean, I, I again, I didn't come on here for no sympathy. No, and, and you're not getting it. We we want to know the truth, and you're the man that could actually bring it to the forefront. The the perception of 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 who I am is not even close, and that's what hurts the most. You know because. I never set out to, to bash the game of horse racing. It's what I love to do. It's why I'm doing it today at 44 years old, you know. <laughs> it's not because of the money. I mean, I'm not the wealthiest guy. I went through a lot of money in those five years, but it's not because of the money. It's because this is what I I do. And and I did it at, at a level of the game was arguably the best riders in the history of horse racing, and I did it at a, at a high level. And there was a time where a lot of people wanted to be around me. It's not the case anymore, you know. It's you know, it's like I've been put out on an island, you know, and it's all stems back to the choices, if you will, that I made, and those choices were not about me. It was about other people. And but having said that, I have three beautiful children at home, <laughs> and I have a. <coughs> That, that know what their daddy stood for and that are very proud. And nobody can take that away from me. You know, you can knock me all you want. And the game of horse racing will always knock me, you know, because I was not supposed to. It was, in other words, to them I put a black eye on the game. I, I didn't swing. <laughs> I just basically, you know, came and said, look, we need insurance. We need weights to change. We need this. You know, we need that. And, and you know, never asked, we never asked for any more money. You know, it was just, could you just please, you know, cover us, you know. And um, unfortunately, they chose to fight. And like we talked earlier and you brought it up, they they they, they found the right one. It, it took, might have took them a hundred and something years, but they ran into one that was going to fight, and I did. And um, sometimes, many days, I wish I wouldn't have today. I'm sure that those thoughts go through your head each and every day, but if you, when you retire from the saddle, I, I think you'd make one heck of a politician, and I think uh, for, for standing up for the rights of others, uh, it's it's not a coward's game. I think that's probably one of the most bravest things uh, any man in any profession could do is stand up for the rights of many. Shane, if I if I may, and, and I, I don't want to round it up with, uh, you know, tapping the wisdom of, of a of a fantastic writer, and by no means is that a kiss up because I knew you wouldn't accept it. But I absolutely loved watching you ply your trade, and uh, I used to catch you at Keeneland more more so than any time. If you could impart some wisdom, if you could tell an up and coming young writer 
what advice would you give a, a new rider from a successful man such as yourself about his life in the saddle? Yeah, I don't know if you really want to hear it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, well, I, and, and okay. After what you just heard, uh, you know, how could is, how could I ever give any kid any positive advice? What, you know, just let me just let me run this by you. If are you talking about today, today's society, when when the kids are six and seven years old, for the last ten fifteen years, we give them some kind of computer device. And they, you know, that's why they, you know, foot, uh, professional athletes uh, talk about obesity, you know, getting these kids out. Because we give them some kind of computer device and then they stay in the house and Nintendos and, you know, they're not getting outside and then playing, much less getting out there and, and, and getting their feet dirty and, and, you know, and playing. And so where are these next generation of riders coming from? You know, first of all, you have to go and get a kid off. You, any any listener can go and look and find a 15-year-old kid that can make 109 pounds. That first. Now you got to find a kid that it's even not even fearful of horses. Then you got to get them on their back. So I'm trying to make a, a, a short of this, but we're not seeing those kids come around anymore. And I can't I I, I can't really give them any positive advice. I mean I I don't know. I wouldn't know where to start it. I, I I really wouldn't know where to start. Um, so I, I'm never, I'm never stumped for words. But if I can't say nothing positive, you know, I might as well not say nothing at all. And and I just, I just don't see nothing. Be you know, safe. I mean, do it. You can't do it see, right. You can't see these kids. You, you they walk in and they're they're they're, they're too big already. That you know what they have fixing to put their lives through. Then if they hit the ground, you know, all I can tell them, and I try to tell these young kids, is save your money. You know, mm-hmm. because what they what they make on paper, you know, at the end of the year they have to pay their taxes, and they, you know, they don't take out our taxes, and you know, we think then you got to pay an agent twenty five, but you know, it's, they, they don't have anybody to manage their money, and I've seen so many people, and I could have to walk away with with, with nothing, you know, and. The only advice I can give them, if, if they're crazy enough to get into this game, you have to really love it, you know, because it takes a very, very unique individual to be a professional rider. And I just don't see those Baileys and Days and Angel Caderos that want to ride for 25 and 30 years and have the makeup mentally, physically, the drive. To, they're not I'm, I'm going to say I don't see them. I'm just going to go out on a limb and tell you they're not coming anymore. I don't know why. You know, but um, I got off the subject a little bit, but Ed, but I, hey. I really, I really don't have a lot of advice I, I give kids today. I, I, try, I pretty what? much stay away from that. No answer is sometimes the right answer. Shane, on behalf of Winning Ponies, we'd like to thank you for taking time to be with us this evening, sharing your insights and feelings with our listeners. We'd like to wish you personally on and off the track the best of luck, and we're going to be looking for Shane Jude Sellers in the Winter Circle very soon, my friend. Thank you, Ed. If I could just say one thing, uh, I know there's a lot of Facebook friends of mine out there. Thank you so much for the for the support that you've given me. And um, again, I just want to say thank you because uh, I've had some very, very great people that are constantly, on an everyday basis, trying to pick, keep my head up. And to those people, I thank you very much. And God and bless I've, you all, and, and thanks for having me. And I've just met one myself, uh, and we've just chatted on the phone. Shane, thanks so much. We're going to be looking for you in the winter circle. God bless you.
Thank you, sir. That's Mr. Shane Sellers been joining us, and uh, what an athlete. We're going to jump right out to our next guest, Mr. Bill Troilo's on hold. Bill, are you there? Yes, I am, Ed. How are you doing? Sorry, Billy. I ran a little over there. And uh, Bill Troilo is actually active in the, in the Indiana racing game, uh, a Philly boy. He's, a, he's another tough guy, like uh, Mr. Shane Sellers, and uh, a guy that uh, I don't think I'd even uh, I'd mix it out with uh, very much. Bill, you, 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 uh, you've resigned from the saddle, you, you've, you've hung up your tack, and now you're on the other side of the coin. But I have to ask you this. If you were never a rider, what would you have done with your life? Uh, I'd have probably went back to school and uh, you know, done something that I always enjoyed accounting. Uh, I enjoy cooking. So that's probably two uh, passions I have, you know, that maybe I would have you know, furthered my education a little bit more than I have uh, and, you know, gone that route. I'm sure it would have been a nice Italian restaurant. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> With a name like William Dino Troilo. Now, that's going to catch me a black guy next time I see you. William Dino. I just call you Big Bad Bill, but, uh, you know, I, I, I've always loved that. The first time I saw it, it made me chuckle. But uh, William Dino, uh, now, who, who, in fact, mom and or dad, or was that both that uh, actually uh, laid Dino upon you? Uh, that was my dad. He named me after Dean Martin, which, uh, you know, very popular Italian uh, entertainer, but uh, my mother, since I was born on St. Patrick's Day, she wanted to name me Patrick, but my father, he wanted to name me after his father, which was Bill also. Well, you, your father, Nick, was, was a colorful character to have around the track, and when I say character, only in the kindest and most respectful terms. He, he was <laughs> it was a lot of fun, and man, did he not take any guff from anybody. I, I don't know if you got it from mommy and or dad or both, Bill, but uh, you're one of the nicest guys. But I'm starting to see that with uh, with riders, that you just don't mess with them and you just don't cross them too much. Bill, I, I wanted to ask you, I was chatting with Shane, and I, once again, I apologize for getting to you late here. Today's riders, Bejarano, Rosario, just to name a few, Dominguez, Talamo, uh, are, are they better athletes than 20 to 30 years ago of riders? Uh, I don't know. They have uh, more access to maybe uh, gyms to work out. Um, you know, I think um, they do work out a lot more because racing is a year-round sport where, you know, back years ago, you know, after November, you know, if you didn't go to Florida and race, uh, you know, the horses were turned out. So you didn't really uh, work year-round, you know, like you do now. And it's the same way with all sports. You know, there's no really off-season. So, you know, athletes have to keep their bodies conditioned at all times. How, how did you keep your body in such fine-tuned shape? Uh, every day. But when I rode, I, I went to the gym. Uh, I played a lot of basketball for cardio, you know, for my cardio and, and running and uh, lifted weights. And, you know, when I couldn't get to I was doing a lot of jogging, um, you know, anything I can do just to keep my, my body physically strong. For those that know Bill Troilo, he's he's very active in a lot of charitable organizations and, and uh, especially for playing basketball. I loved it when he'd be playing against guys that were six six, six seven, and you'd see this little guy out there moving around like a little wispy ant flying past them with a layup but making the big guys look bad. Uh, you still relish those times? Yeah, oh yeah, I loved them. I tell you what, um, you know, even though you know that's what forced me to retire was uh, you know my knee injuries. You know, with my knee replacement now, I'm still able to you know play once once in a couple weeks or something. I don't try to overdo it because you know I'm not getting any younger anymore. And you know, you, having a knee replacement, uh, 
you know, you're not really supposed to be playing basketball, but, you know, the, the doctor, he gives me his blessing, you know, since uh, <laughs> I haven't gained much weight, you know, so he don't figure I'm going to hurt it too much. So, uh, you know, last, last time it, I saw you, look like you, you were riding weight when I saw you. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, and your and your wife Mary, she's she's in racetrack management at Turfway Park. Now uh, she keeps you in uh, in, in quite uh, fit with uh, Bill. Do this, Bill. Do that, and uh, Mary, she's she's quite uh, quite active on her on her own as well. Yeah, she does. She does a lot of running. She runs in five Ks, and uh, you know she enjoys doing that. So we're just kind of an active couple. In fact, you are in uh, in uh, good folks, and uh, she keeps you in line. And thank God for that. Bill, on a on a serious note, uh, a little more serious note, I, nothing too too serious. Uh, Indiana Governor Mitch Daniels proposing to cut purses at two of the Indy tracks. Uh, Bill Finley, ESPN.com, and New York Times contributor uh, says goodbye to the slots gravy train. Uh, in, in your opinion, and I say opinion because nothing is in stone as of now, will racing be able to survive in the Hoosier State? Well, the you know he's proposing to um, take. 43% of, uh, I guess, the revenue that's supposed to go to the tracks. Uh, you know, as we know, because of this economy, I mean, states are hurting. Um, you know, even though Indiana's been blessed with, um, you know, uh, riverboat gambling and now slots at tracks and all, and have made a lot of money from taxes and everything, you know, they're still struggling to survive. And, um, you know, this is what the governor feels that he has to do, you know, to take that money to the general fund, you know, whether it be for, uh, I guess, police enforcement or whatever the state needs, you know, and unfortunately, the, you know, the racetrack is going to feel the brunt of it, and, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a proposal. It has to go through the House and Senate, and, uh, you know, so, yeah, who knows what will happen, but, but if, the, if the governor really wants this to go through and needs the money, I'm sure, you know, it'll go through a lot quicker than normally. You know, I, I wrote that in a blog, and by, by no means might be smirching a, a governor. I mean, uh, who am I to uh, point a finger? I'm, I'm a racing fan, and and I'm someone that has spent a lot of time in the industry. And you know, but but I have to I have to pose the question: You've got a lot of indie yearlings in the breeding program, and the people that have purchased farms, and just when it looked like things were really going to take off. I mean, it looked like Indiana was the little state that could because overnight, when I say overnight, that's about five to seven years, the, the breeding industry's taken off, the purse structure's looking good. You guys actually had uh, looking at Lucky run there in the slop this past year. Yeah, that, you know, it was a big shock to me because after working this past meet in Indiana, things were just on the upswing, and, I mean, there's such a buzz around the track how well it's doing. Uh, they're encouraging Indiana people to breed better horses, they want better racing, and, and then, you know, this happens, and, um, you, you know, it's just another tough blow for, you know, people in horse racing game, you know, it's it's bad enough, you know, we're in a financial, you know, hardship throughout the country, and then, you know, when the state finally gets on its feet and looks like it's moving forward, then, you know, it suffers another setback. Fifteen years ago, it used to be ten, but time has flown by. Fifteen years ago, a big article was written in a daily racing form talking about having ten super tracks, and the rest of the small tracks would fold. Do you think this is coming to fruition? Uh, definitely. I definitely see that. Um, you know, in order for smaller tracks to survive, they have to be self-sufficient. And in order to do that, they need to get people 
to the racetrack, and you know that's not happening. Uh, you know our older generation that loved horse racing is dying off, and our younger generation, um, you know, for the most part, shows no interest in horse racing. And you know, not just for purses, but you know, to keep upgrade, you know, keep upgrading the buildings, you know, upkeep and and you know, money for advertising. We need people to come to the racetracks because that's where the racetrack makes money in order to pay its employees, you know, advertising, maintenance for the buildings, you know, and we're not we're not drawing any people. And you know, basically, this probably started back when we when we first got simulcasting. You know, it it was great that. You know, you can introduce your track to the country, and people can bet on you. But what it what it does is it just keeps people at home where they have you know phone accounts and stuff like that. You can sit at home and bet on races, but that's not getting people to the racetrack and you know buying hot dogs, beer, cokes. You know that the, that the racetrack needs to really survive. And they need to be really industrious. And uh, a, a track that, that you, you rode at, and actually Mary works at a Turfway Park, they're, they're a, a glowing example. They've actually uh, uh, switched to a Saturday Night Race card, uh, Saturday Night Lights, and they're doing tremendous on the, on the concession and being able to actually open and, and keep their product accessible. And, and, and in a big sense, they're staying out of the uh, out of the uh, the footmarks of uh, of an aqueduct of, of a golf stream of uh, Chicago and even uh, California to a lesser degree because they're running at a later post time. I think they're doing a spectacular job in showing that you know what we're not about ready to raise the white flag. We're going to fight until we drop. Yeah, well, they're trying. I mean, they're trying anything they can do. And you know, last Saturday night was their first Saturday night, which was at WEBN Stakes, which WEBN brings a lot of people, they have a party there, so, you know, it was hard to really get a gauge on, you know, how big of a crowd that they have, it was a success for the first Saturday, but it definitely was better than a Saturday afternoon, you know, crowd, so, you know, and with a Saturday night, you know, you're trying to attract younger people, you know, trying to, you know, give them something to do in this area, you know, to come to the races, enjoy the races, you know, and and enjoy horse racing, and, uh, you know, there's... They're doing what they have to do, you know, and, uh, you know, we've cut back to three days a week now, you know, in February and March, and that's what a lot of racetracks are doing is cutting back days, and, you know, they're just trying to, horse racing is just trying to survive right now. And Turfway Park's doing a yeoman's task of actually keeping their head up and doing doing very well and holding up the Kentucky end of the flag. Bill, I usually have five questions, but I'm going to round it out to three. I'm going to call it the, the magic trifecta. And I'm going to ask you three questions. There is no bad answer. We've got a couple minutes here until we actually close. Exactly two. Bill, okay. are you ready for your three questions? Go ahead. Fire away. Okay. When the hell are you going to be on somewhere like TVG, HRTV, or have your own radio show because you're fabulous? <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Ed, and I always enjoy being on, you know, the radio with you. We have a great time. Uh, you know, right now I'm uh, I'm trying to further my uh, my career and being a racing official. I'm hoping to be a steward someday, a racing steward. You know, but you know, I leave my opportunities open. If that was to happen, where I could be on TVG or HRTV or radio show, believe me, I'd, I'd be I'd be very open to it. Hey, I'm comfortable with my sexuality, but you look damn good in a suit. I got to tell you that much. <laughs> you know, if you could advise, I asked Shane, but uh, you know, he he said, you know, if he couldn't say anything good, he wouldn't say anything, and I respect that. Bill, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you: if you could advise an upcoming rider, and as a racing official, a steward, 
how would you help him or her prepare for the business of racing? Well, the, the first thing, the way I came around was I, I started out on a farm. You know, I worked with young horses. I, I got started, you know, it was like the blind leading the blind. You know, you had young horses that didn't know anything about running or racing, and neither did I. So we learned together. And, um, you know, you have to learn everything about a horse. You have to dedicate yourself. I mean, this is a career that's a seven-day-a-week job, and you have to love horses. I mean, you know, because the horse comes first. You know, I mean, making this horse happy and making him, you know, want to run, you know, that, that's what everybody is out there for. You know, and they sacrifice their own well-being so that the horse's well-being is being taken care of. And, you know, if you do not have that kind of passion, you know, for the horse or the sport, then, you know, you're probably wasting your time. But if you do have that passion, you know, it's a wonderful career. Um, you know, take it slow. Don't be in a rush to, to ride races. Learn everything you can before you get to that, you know, that first race. You know, so this way it's not overwhelming for you. Thank you, Billy. And I, and I, and I caught the last part of Shane, you know, saying about saving your money. That's so important, too, because a lot of young riders that start out winning races, they think it's easy. You know, first thing you, you know, they get hurt. When they come back, they've lost all their business. Nobody wants to ride them anymore. And, you know, they, they think winning races and making that kind of money lasts forever, but it doesn't. So you have to be very smart in trying to save it also. Had to be frugal, and thank God you had Mary because she kept you as track. We're, we got seconds to go here, Bill. i got to ask you real quick. Racing in 10 years, are we still up and going? Uh, I think um, probably probably the eight main tracks are probably in the country. Probably you see Keeneland, Churchill, uh, Gulfstream in the winter, probably California tracks, and maybe Hot Springs, Arkansas. You know, the rest, there's going to be a few tracks maybe up east. Um, you know, it, it depends on you know, where these slots go, you know, I mean, if the states take back money, if they if they cut the purses or whatever, you know, because one thing that I've seen with slots, you know, they add to the purses, but they they don't do anything for maintenance of the building, the backside improvements or anything like that. It's all about the purses. And, you know, as we know, there's uh, there's certain amount of trainers and jockeys that win all that money in purses. So, you know, the, the smaller guy... You know, they're still getting left out. You know, they they're still not winning enough races to sustain what they're paying into these horses. So, well, Bill, we got to roll it up here. I'd like to thank you. As time flies, as we're talking about thoroughbred racing, and this week definitely no difference. Winning ponies. I'd like to thank uh, Shane Sellers and you, Bill, for being our special guest this evening. I'll be in Vegas next week, so wish me luck in the Horse Player World Series. Bill, I'd like to thank you so much. You've been a great friend. You always will, and hopefully you'll be joining us again. Thanks, Ed. Anytime. Thank you, Bill. Well, you heard it right there. Mr. Bill Troilo and Shane Sellers join us, and you've heard many perspectives on racing. Be in Vegas next week. Wish me luck. The Horse Player World Series is calling. So until we meet again, may your winners be many and your photos be few. Good luck and good night, everyone. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Network.